Great to see you all. I'll pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for all your scriptures and we thank you in particular for the way they point us to salvation in Christ and show us uh, how we find that salvation but also for the way they then uh, teach us how to live as people who've been saved by Jesus. And so as we look at this part of your scriptures tonight that focuses on our families uh, and how as children we relate to our parents and how parents relate to their children, we pray that you will help us uh, not just to read it and understand it, but to put it into practice in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things uh, I hope you've seen so far in the book of Ephesians as we've studied it is that believing in Jesus will, in fact, it must impact every area of your life. So uh, one thing Ephesians makes very clear is there is no such thing as a person who says, I believe in Jesus... Uh, and genuinely believes in Jesus and is then not changed in the, way we, in the way we live. And so we get this incredible picture of the way how we have become a new person in Christ Jesus. We have been raised to life as a new person and so now we live differently to how we used to live before, before we knew Jesus. Uh, and so the book sort of breaks up into two parts. And again, I hope I'm not telling you anything new. This is sort of revision near the end of the series. So flick back to the first half of Ephesians. So Ephesians 1 to 3 is all about what Jesus has done for us. Uh, and so the heading of it, if you like, is chapter 1 verse 3, where it says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. And so chapters 1 to 3 are setting out how if you are in Christ, if you trust in him, you have every spiritual blessing. You've been adopted as a child of God, you've been forgiven, you've been washed clean, uh, all these wonderful things. And the high point, I think, is in chapter 2, jump to chapter 2 at verse 8. And you should know it off by heart by now, because I think in every sermon I've said to you, you should know this off by heart by now. So it is, for you are saved by? Grace. Through? Faith. Well done. So there you go. And it's not from your? So that no one can? There you go. What role do works play in your salvation? Zero. None. That's chapters 1 to 3. It's, it's one of the most wonderful parts of Scripture. But then at chapter 4, he sort of switches gear and, and says, now I want you to see how that should change you. And so chapter 4 and 5 and 6 are all basically unpacking what he says at chapter 4, verse 1. Look there, where he says, Therefore I, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. So if you have come to know Jesus, you have been called to be a child of God. You have been called to be a new person. And so Paul says, so don't live like the old person. Live a life, walk worthy of the calling you have received in Christ Jesus. And so that's what these last three chapters, chapter 4, 5 and 6, they're sort of spelling out in every aspect of life how knowing Jesus will change you and will impact you. And the really profound thing we've seen already is the way he starts with, and sort of like he's saying, the most fundamental thing that will happen is your spiritual family. The, the most fundamental impact is it will change the way you think about your brothers and sisters in Christ and you'll be committed to one another and you'll serve one another and you'll love one another and then he deals with all sorts of other aspects of what we would call godliness about how you speak how you live your life and now at the end of chapter five as we saw last week he gets he moves from our spiritual family to our flesh and blood family so if in, in coming to know Jesus you now value this family so incredibly highly 
well, how does, what does it mean for your relationships within your earthly family? And so we saw last week uh, in the second half of chapter 5 how it impacts wives and husbands and the way they relate in marriage. But now, as we come to the start of chapter 6, he turns to parents and children, which is incredibly relevant to all of us because who here does not or has not had parents in their life? There you go. That's everyone who this is not relevant for. So there we are, incredibly relevant. Then he talks about slaves and masters, not as relevant to us in our current setting. Uh, And in fact, I'm not going to have time to get to that today. Uh, So we're just going to focus on verses 1 to 4 because there's so much in that. But if you want to ask questions about uh, verses 5 to 9, come and speak to me afterwards. So Paul talks first to children. Uh, which is interesting in and of itself. Have a look at chapter 6, verse 1, because remember uh, how this came to the Ephesians. This was a letter from the apostle, and it wasn't a personal letter. This was, get together your whole church, and we'll read this out, and this is what the apostle is saying to us all. And the apostle Paul reserves a special little part where he speaks to the children. You might think, so what? Well, that, that means the children were a part of the gathered people of God. And this is why we at our church value children so much because first of all Jesus did Jesus said let the little children come to me but so did Paul Paul said children are a part of your church that's one of the reasons if you're involved in who's involved in kids ministry of any sort here put up your hand that's not to make other people it's to encourage you that there's so many of you that's why we push that so much Uh, we want to reach children with the gospel it's one of the things we're on about but more than that we want to include them within the people of God so at our morning services if you come to them our kids start in church they then have age appropriate teaching at kids church as well but we always want them to feel and know and many of you have come through church to know this is your church family Uh, this is where you are valued and that must always be the case sometimes people come to me and sort of say I'm just checking if anyone here has said this I don't want to say no no one here Uh, but sometimes people come to me and say why do we have to have the kids in they make so much noise and they're so annoying and you know and that sort of thing I say to them because God loves them and because they're part of our church family that's why we value them so highly so that's just making a little side point about that but let's get to the teaching And at this point, every parent at Morning Church should have encouraged their children to come to church tonight because it says, verse 1, Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord because this is right. I can finish there. There we go. My kids went home tonight. They wanted to watch Survivor. But anyway, um, (laughs) they come to church in the morning. Uh, Do you notice how it's a different, stronger word to what we saw with wives and husbands last week? So it was, wives, submit to your husbands last week, but this is children, obey your parents. Uh, It's a stronger word. Children are called to obey their parents out of obedience to Christ. Uh, A Christian child, if you are a Christian and you have parents, you are called on to obey your parents. And it's interesting, the reason he gives is just because this is right. It's sort of like saying, it's just because that's the way it is. It's just everyone knows it. That's what he's saying. Uh, he's saying you shouldn't need a command. You shouldn't need a special revelation from God to make you go, oh, so I'm meant to obey my parents. It's just every society that has ever existed has understood that the good order of society is centered on the family unit working and children obeying their parents. That doesn't mean children naturally do it. Far from it. 
Uh, and it doesn't mean pa- parents are naturally good at their side either. Far from it. I speak from personal experience, not of my parents, but of me as a parent. Uh, but what is obvious is that in all societies, whether they were Jewish or pagan or Christian or, or pagan, whatever it is, the family is God's basic building block for society. See, in our modern world, we've started to think, no, it's the government that's the, ba- the government maintains order in society. But the government, it's important, but it's not as important as the family. The family is the basic unit of society. So smart societies throughout history have said we must protect the family at all costs. And so they say marriages are worth supporting and investing in and parenting is worth supporting and investing in and it's worth preserving and don't mess with it and don't, and don't do other things with it. And when we stop doing that, as the Western world has sort of done for the last 40 years or so, you see what it, the impact it has on society. Society suffers when the family unit is broken. But even though God thinks it should be obvious to us, he still puts it in as a basic part of his law. And it's so important, it was even in the Ten Commandments. Have you ever read through the Ten Commandments? Well, you did just before, if you were following along in Exodus 20. Honour your father and your mother, I think, stands out for us. I think we sort of think, yeah, I know I should honour my parents, but it shouldn't be in the top ten. You know, don't murder, that's a top ten. Don't make idols, that's a top 10. Honour your father and your mother, maybe top 50. You, you know. uh, but God is saying through Moses at the time of the Ten Commandments, that is how important this is. When we dishonour our parents, we dishonour God. And when we disobey our parents, we're actually disobeying God. That's how important it is. It is part of the Ten Commandments. But even within the Ten Commandments, God didn't just say, this is in the top ten. He said, this one is a special one. And that's the point Paul's making there when he says, this commandment God tied to a promise. It's like God was saying, this is not just a negative law, this is a positive law. I want you to understand something about it. So look there at verse 3, he says, honour your parents so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. So you've got to remember, we're in the New Testament, not the Old Testament, we're not under the law. In the Old Testament, there were physical blessings tied to obedience. And in particular, Israel remaining in the land was tied to them obeying the law as a nation. And so, now I don't think this was ever a personal promise. Uh, All of the Ten Commandments were to the nation as a whole. It was to the nation saying, if the individual family unit works, if that works as it should, then the whole nation will prosper in the promised land. You will stay in the land and receive my blessing. And that's why Paul brings this up here, even though we're not under the law, as I said. uh, He wants to show us that you don't just obey and honour your parents because God says so. This is one of those ones where it's a win-win, if you like. It's not just do this because I tell you to. It's do this because it's good for you. And do this because it is good for your society that there be order within the family relationship. So children... Obey your parents as you would the Lord. Very simple. And of course it's not that simple because we immediately have questions about it. And it was interesting. Some, I can't remember who, wanted to, we had our question time on Wednesday night for our gospel teams and people were jumping the gun and wanting to ask me questions on this. So this is where, if I don't answer your questions, put your hand up at the end of the sermon. Because uh, the first question is, what's the obvious question about this? When do I stop being a child? What's the real question behind that question? (laughs) When do I not have to obey my parents anymore? 
That's the real question. We ask it as, oh, when do I stop being a child? I wonder if we're actually meaning, when do I not have to obey my parents? I mean, this obviously applies to infants, doesn't it? You know, I mean, this obviously applies to infants. No infant thinks they're an infant, but it applies to infants. What about when we become adults? And part of the difficulty there is different cultures have different divisions of when we become adults, don't we? We could sort of do a survey here, I won't do this, where, you, where I could ask, when do your parents think you become an adult? Uh, in some cultures, there is a clear distinction. When you turn 18, you cease to be a child and you become an adult. Other cultures, when you turn 21, you become an adult. And that's why we have ages where people are allowed to drive and drink and go and die for their country and all those sort of things. It's sort of saying, you shouldn't have to do that if you're not yet an adult. Uh, that's, that's the point of that. Other cultures have an expectation that you are a child while ever your parent is still alive. And so in some cultures, I see 85-year-old fathers expect that their 65-year-old son should still obey them because they are still my child and that's the way they work. And depending on your culture, you might need to hear a different word of Scripture. See, uh, I think my Anglo culture needs to hear Ephesians 6 verse 1 very loudly. Uh, I never grew up thinking obeying my parents was a rule. I always saw it as an optional extra when I agreed with them. My mother sometimes listens to this, so hello, mum. There you go. There are some cultures, though, especially Eastern cultures, I think, that perhaps need to hear more loudly where Jesus says things like, sometimes you have to leave your family behind to follow me in the gospel. See, there are some cultures that need to hear where Jesus says, your family is not everything, and following me is the primary calling. I don't think my culture struggles with that. We sort of go, well, I was never listening to my parents, so now I'll just listen to Jesus instead of no one, you know. Whereas other cultures need to hear that. I hope you get my point. I think it's also relevant here that the Old Testament command was to honour rather than to obey. So I think Paul is talking specifically to children, in people who are still children, when he says, obey your parents. But the honour command goes for all of life. So honour expresses itself in obedience when you're a child, but as you become an adult, the call is to honour, not necessarily to obey. Uh, And for mine, I think the obedience call extends while ever you are under the roof of your parents. So this is is the funny thing about it. uh, A 19-year-old who has left home I think has less of a call to obey their parents than a 32-year-old who lives at home. Because if, if you are living under the roof of your parents and, and still receiving everything in that sense, you owe them more in terms of obedience. You owe them the same no matter what in terms of honour, but obedience I think has that meaning. Uh, while ever we're provided for by our parents, we owe them obedience in some sense. But as we turn to an adult, Uh, And then as we leave our parents to set up our own home, that's when the change occurs. The move from honour and obey to honour. I hope that makes sense. But even when we are an adult, we are still called to honour our parents. So that means, I think, it is always right and appropriate to seek our parents' wisdom. Even if they're not believers. It it is part of honouring them to owe them the respect that you seek their opinion in decisions you make. Uh, and you don't disagree lightly with your parents. Uh, we respect their position. We respect their place in our lives. 
I'll give an example. Uh, I've spoken to lots of young adults, including some of you, uh, who are considering or in the future or presently are considering going into Christian ministry. Uh, So going to more college or becoming a missionary or something like that. And often when a child gets that idea in their mind, their parents are disappointed. Sadly, even some Christian parents are disappointed when their child gets that in their mind. But I say to that person, well, you should honour your parents. But that mightn't mean obeying them, assuming you're an adult. Uh, You should honour them by listening to them and respecting them. They might even have valid reasons that you should do what they say and not follow the path your heart is set on. Uh, Earning more money is not a valid reason. Uh, Being around so I can play with my grandkids when they come is not a valid reason. But I mean, they might see a weakness in your character that you can't see because they're your parents. As they might say to you, this is not a wise course of action. But ultimately, my point is you may decide in a decision like that to go against your parents' wishes because you think people hearing about Jesus is more important even than doing exactly what your parents want for you and keeping peace with your parents. And at that point, as I say, we have to remember some of those other things Jesus says about how following him will sometimes impact on our family relationships. Uh, So the point is, for an adult, honouring our parents might not mean obeying them, but it will always mean respecting and listening to them. Uh, One more thing on that, though, and this is probably a long way off for many of you, but closer for some of us, Uh, Part of honouring your parents is caring for your parents right to the end. Uh, And I didn't even think about this when I was 21. Uh, But part of honouring your parents is actually life goes full circle. And as your parents cared for you as a child, your godly, God-given responsibility is to care for them in their old age. Uh, And I don't think... Christians take this seriously enough I think we sadly the Christian West with its Christian influence doesn't do this as well as many other cultures do who don't have the gospel which is very very sad too often I think our culture just ships off our parents into a nursing home uh, and then says I'll visit you once a month just to sort of assuage my conscience there's nothing wrong with nursing homes sometimes that's the best way to care for elderly people if we can't care for them at home and so forth Uh, but sadly too often in our culture that reflects the fact that we see elderly people as an inconvenience to be managed Uh, and I think that's partially behind this whole push for euthanasia in the world at the moment which uh, can I tell you I mean it needs a much longer sermon than this I'm not going to get onto it much now but it is evil it's an evil to say that people, doctors, should have the right to end another person's life. Uh, There's all sorts of arguments that need to be made about that and so forth. But I think part of the push for euthanasia is we think once a person gets old, they're no value to society anymore. Christians should say, I honour my parents and I'll support them and I'll love them right to the end, just like they did for me as a child. Let's move on, because I think there's another question this raises, of course, which is where we are called to obey Is that call unconditional? Now, of course, like I said last week with marriage, there are horrible examples of abusive parents uh, who need to be dealt with by the law and the child protected. But in the normal scheme of things, God's word is clear. Obedience is the norm. And obedience means even when you don't agree, just in case you didn't understand that. Uh, obedience is the norm but are there ever exceptions is it ever right to not obey 
And this is especially pertinent where your parents are not believers, I think. So is it ever right not to obey? And of course the answer is yes. Just like I talked about with wives submitting to husbands last week. Uh, Our first obedience is not to our parents. Our first obedience is to who? To Christ. That's our first obedience. And so if our parents call on us to sin or demand that we deny Jesus, then we honour them but we don't obey them. And if you think that's such an out there thing, I know so many examples where parents, especially where people have converted from other religions, uh, or sadly, these days, converted from militant atheist families, uh, where the parents actually do demand, you must not follow Jesus, I don't want you being a Christian. And that's an incredible thing for a young person to have to stand up and say, at this point, I am going to honour you, but disobey you, because following Jesus is more important. And we, must, we have to be, include people who come from non-Christian families uh, even more than we include people who come from Christian families because we become their only true spiritual family in that sense. But the norm is obedience. And as I say, though, where this gets really hard, and I know this is the case to some degree for some people here, uh, where it's really hard is when parents of teenagers or young adults still living at home are antagonistic to the gospel. I won't ask you if that's your situation, but I know some have spoken to some of you about it. And I regularly have this conversation over the years with young people who have become Christians, but their parents are not Christians. Uh, Now, generally, those parents are really happy for their kids to come to church and youth group because they sort of think, oh, well, they won't take drugs there, so that'll be good. And, you know, they'll learn some morals. I've lost count of the number of parents who say to me, oh, good, you can teach my kids some morals. But then they start hearing what I preach about and the call to give your whole life to Jesus and all that sort of thing. And some parents say, I don't want my kids giving their life to Jesus. I don't want my kids hearing that it's a good thing to go as a missionary to Afghanistan or or something like that. And, And so increasingly, especially with parents of my generation, increasingly they don't see the gospel as something good but irrelevant to them. They see the gospel as immoral. They see the gospel as negative for their kids. And so at some points, they say to their teenager or to their young adult child, I don't want you to go to church. If they're just saying, I don't want you to go to church, I'd encourage you not to make too big a thing of it and say, well, I'd still like to go to church. But what happens when you're called to obey your parents and they say, you must not go to youth group or church? I've seen it happen more than once. What, What do you do then? If it really is at that point, I would say to the teenager, you should obey your parents. I know that might be surprising, but you should obey your parents. You should keep trusting Jesus, keep reading your Bible, keep respectfully asking your parents, sort of like the dripping tap in Proverbs, respectfully asking your parents, can I go to youth group? Can I go to church? But in the end, that person honours Jesus by obeying their parents. Now then, as that person becomes an adult, that will change and it might be then appropriate to say, I have obeyed you up until now, but now as an adult, I am following Jesus is more important than what you think about it. And so I am going to go to church. I'm going to be a part of Christian fellowship. Uh, but that is actually, if you think about it, a wonderful witness to a non-believing parent. One of the most powerful witnesses to the strength of the gospel is when a teenager obeys their parent. Only Jesus could do that. 
I'm only half joking at that point. But it's a wonderful witness to our parents. If you have non-believing parents, your godliness in the home and your submission to their authority is part of your witness to them in the gospel. That doesn't mean you always, depending on your age, you always have to obey their every desire and all that sort of thing. But your obedience to your parent is a wonderful witness. And I know more than one adult who has become a Christian because of the change they've seen in their kids' attitude to them when they become Christians. And so I pray for you if that's your situation. Well, that's the call on children. Uh, What about parents? Uh, That part of the sermon was much longer tonight than it was this morning. This part is going to be much shorter tonight than it was this morning. So if you are a parent, I'd encourage you to get the podcast of this morning's talk because I'm not going to go through all the things I did there just because 80% of those congregations are parents and I can see a few parents around here today. But... The message to parents is there in verse 4. Look at it with me. It says, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. A few things to point out there. First is, it's really, really important to see that this call is to fathers. And I pointed that out last week. That's not to say both parents aren't involved in raising their children. But I think Paul's point is, in the end, it is we fathers who are responsible to God for the spiritual health of our families. Uh, In many ways, I see the father's job as similar to my job as a pastor. So this is how serious it is. If if you thought you might desire to be a pastor, teacher of God's people, I will be accountable to God for you and for the other people at St. George North. I will be accountable to God for what was taught to you and what, what you've come to know from the scriptures and all those sorts of things, for my faithfulness in serving you. Well, in the same way, fathers will stand before God and be accountable to God for their families. Uh, And at this point, I want to encourage and challenge men. And if one day you become a father, I hope you remember this then. Uh, Or perhaps if you become a father, you can come and say to me, what was it you said I had to remember, Phil? Uh, Sadly, it is too often mothers who take on that role. In, in Christian, even where the fathers are Christian, reading the Bible is mum's job, praying is mum's job, making the kids come to church is mum's job. Men need to be driving that in our families. And you know, studies actually show that where a father shows real Christian commitment, that is actually the biggest factor, humanly speaking, in the kids being Christians as adults. It's harder for a kid whose dad is not a Christian to keep following Jesus. That's just a reality. And that's, it's, it's a bigger factor than mothers. Uh, I don't know why, but that's just the way it is. I, I can come up with all sorts of theories. And that's why we need to especially pray for and support those families where there are single mums uh, or where the father is not a believer. And that is where our kids' ministry and our youth ministry, that so many of you are involved in, that's where that is so, such a vital ministry. Uh, because where you are helping kids who don't have input from home, you, you are their spiritual father in the Lord as their youth group leader or as their kids. So that's how important it is. That's how seriously we should take that job, filling that gap. So anyway, all of these things apply to all parents, but it's fathers who are ultimately responsible. And that should just remind us, for the parents who are here and for those who might be one day, uh, you cannot outsource Christian parenting. We have great kids' churches, we have great youth group, they are excellent, uh, but they are to supplement what a parent does themselves. 
It's the parent's responsibility. There's no use of parents saying, the youth group didn't teach my kid well enough. That parent needs a slap around the face and say, well, no, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. They're just helping you do your job. Uh, So what is the call for parents? Well, the first call is a what not to do. Look at it there. It says, don't stir up anger in your children. At this point, all children are judging their parents. Uh, Or don't exasperate. Don't create resentment. Is there anyone... See, your parents are not as cool as I am for my kids. They're not embarrassed by me. That's not true. But everyone finds their parents exasperating at some point, don't they? Is there anyone whose parents are so cool that you never are driven to exasperation, resentment or anger. That's not the point. It's not saying parents be really cool so your kids don't find you embarrassing. That's the opposite of good parenting. You're you're meant to. No. The point here is parents should not misuse their authority. That's the point here. It's sort of a corrective. It's saying, yeah, children are called on to obey, but parents, you should not use your authority in a way that creates resentment and bitterness and anger at your unfairness in the way you discipline your kids. Any discipline should be in love and should be fair. The reality is children will get exasperated and angry at their parents. Uh, But parents should work as hard as possible to ensure that that's not because they are unfair or it's because of their sin. Uh, I said last week marriage is hard. Uh, Being a parent is about 10 times harder, I would say. Walking that line between providing discipline and loving and nurturing your child is a really hard line to draw and so if you're not a parent can I encourage you to not be too quick to judge your parents it is a really hard job they need your forgiveness as much as they need your respect and obedience Uh, God the father is our model father and how does God treat us he loves us by sending his son to die for us But he doesn't love us by giving us what we want all the time, does he? And he disciplines us sometimes, but he doesn't discipline us unfairly. He does it for our eternal good. And that is actually the model of parenting, if you want a model of parenting. But now Paul turns to what to do. So parents are not to stir up anger, but we are to instead bring our children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The word for bring them up is literally nourish them. Nurture them into life. That's the idea of it there. And it's the idea is God has given a parent a young life and it is their job not to crush it, but instead to tenderly care for it and enable it to blossom. That doesn't sound too sort of silly. But not in that give them whatever they want modern parenting idea. Uh, The word training there has the sense of discipline. It's a parent's job to correct wrong behaviour in their children. Uh, A parent's job is to correct their child, to teach them self-control, to teach them that they're not the centre of the universe, to teach them what's right and wrong, to teach them to respect other people. Uh, Often these days we hear, what are the most important words every child needs to hear every day? I love you. And that is true. I'm not discrediting that or saying that's wrong. I love you and you're wonderful and you can achieve anything. And all all, uh, that's what kids need to hear every day we're told I want to say only if they also hear every day no that's not right you need to apologize that is unacceptable if kids only receive that and don't receive that they're actually like those plants that die because you overwater them you know how parents just shrink up and die oh, sorry parents, parents, parents shrink up and die Freudian slip there you go plants shrink and die when you pour too much water on them 
Well, in a way, so do kids. If kids are not told, sometimes, you're wrong, you need to apologise, you need to do better, then sadly they wither and die. And sadly, if my parents' generation were very, very good generally at the discipline part, not quite as good at the nourishing part, uh, I think the generation of many of our parents and many of us uh, was probably much better at the nourishing part at least in the positive affirmation part than we were at the discipline part and sadly I wonder if that's why you go on social media and have people who don't know how to disagree without screaming at one another and typing in cap locks you know uh, I wonder if it's because no one's ever taught them how to disagree without screaming and hating because their parents have never taught them but a parent's job is not just discipline, it's also bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord. So a parent's job is to teach their kids about Jesus. A parent's job is to teach their kids the scriptures. A parent's job is to teach their kids how to pray. And at this point, I know there are some parents here, but I want to say to everyone else, if you might one day be a parent, how do you prepare yourself for that job? How do you prepare yourself to be a parent? Sometimes people you know, worry years into the future about one day I, might, I want to be a mum, I want to be a dad, and so give me all the parenting books you can read. I think that is the biggest waste of time you'll ever have. You'll have plenty of time to read them when you're sitting in a hospital waiting for the baby to come. Uh, <laughs> how do you prepare yourself to be a godly parent? How do you prepare yourself? Well, the most important thing you do is go to your gospel team on Wednesday night. That is the best parenting course long term you will ever do because that's how you will learn the scriptures and know how to read the scriptures for yourself so you can teach other, your kids to read the scriptures. Second most important parenting course you'll ever do, it's not called 101 Parenting, it's called Intro to the Bible and we just advertised it before. If you don't know how the Bible works, how can you ever raise a child to know how the Bible works? So you need to understand the scriptures ourselves so we're able to teach our children well. Do you know, I think, and I said this to the morning congregations this morning, I think I upset some people. Um, I think our kids' church here and our youth group are so good, I think sadly I see probably too many cases in our church where year six kids, and certainly teenagers, many of you, have gone past your parents in your knowledge of the scriptures and sound doctrine. Isn't that sad? I think it's wonderful that our youth group's that good. And that our kids' churches are that good. But isn't that sad? Don't be like that as a parent. You need to know the scriptures so well that you can raise your children to know and love Jesus. But practically, how do you put this into practice? Well, there's all sorts of things you can do to raise kids in the knowledge and structure of the Lord. You read the Bible with them, you pray with them. It's not rocket science. You make it a priority to come to church. When little Johnny says, But I want to play cricket on Sunday morning, you say, No, we go to church on Sunday morning. When little Johnny says, but there's debating on Friday nights, you say, no, that, that would be unfair on those who like debating. No, but you say, no, youth group's more important than debating. So much of parenting is not rocket science, it's just being semi-intelligent. You, you send your kids on fit camp, you, you do those sorts of things, but more important even than those things are the unstructured things. Do you know the way to raise a child to know and love Jesus? Is to be a person who transparently knows and loves Jesus. That's how you raise a child to know and love Jesus, being a person who reads the scriptures for themselves. Kids can see a hypocrite a mile away. And some of you sadly are sitting here thinking, yeah, my parents, their model is not wonderful. And I'll talk about that in a second. But, but the best way to raise your children 
To know and love Jesus is to be someone who transparently knows and loves Jesus. And they'll see that in you. And so if you want to work at how you can be a great parent in the future, well, become someone who loves reading the scriptures, who knows how to forgive, who knows how to repent when they're wrong, uh, who knows how to try to live a godly life and seek God's forgiveness where they need to. Those are the things that help you raise children to know and love the Lord. Uh, This morning, I then finished with one last point. I'm going to say something different to you tonight. To the parents, I then pointed out to remember that you can do everything in the world to raise your children to know Jesus. But you have to remember God is sovereign and your child is responsible for their decision. So you can do everything in the world to, to raise your kids to know and love Jesus. And sometimes, sometimes I've seen it with the most godly parents who have done all the right things and their kids have decided not to follow Jesus. Sometimes one kid has, one kid hasn't in the family. And that's where we have to remember God is sovereign and you are not responsible for your kid's decision. They are responsible before God for their decision. You, your job as a parent is to be faithful. And that's where it's very similar to my job as, a, as your pastor, as your teacher. My job is to be faithful. But if you decide to reject Jesus, or if you decide to turn away from, from the Bible in, in the way you live your life, I'm not responsible for you. God will say to me, did you challenge them? Did you love them? Did you preach the scriptures to them? But he won't say you're responsible for their decision. And it's the same with parents. Parents are not responsible for their children's decision. Our job as parents is to be faithful. But now I want to turn that back the other way, if if you like, because of uh, who we are here tonight. And many of us are not parents and may never be, some of us, and some of us will be in the future. Uh, I want to say to you, however whatever job your parents did with you don't use that as an excuse you know what I'm saying there well you, some of you your parents have done a wonderful job with you and they read the scriptures with you from birth and, and they could you could write something about your mother and your father like Paul wrote about Timothy's mother and grand, grandmother you know about how wonderful it was what a godly example that was and that's wonderful but many of you your parents some of them aren't believers Some of them are believers, but perhaps haven't done that great a job of doing this. I want to say to you, in the end, that's irrelevant now for you. Uh, Don't ever say, my parents did this and that's why I'm like this. Uh, It's your job, it's your responsibility how you respond to God and his word. Uh, And that's really, really important to remember that. It's, It's never, you can never say, ah, but my parents did this and so that's why I'm like this. No, no, no. God will say to you, you knew the scriptures. What did you make of Jesus? You knew the scriptures. How have you lived your life? Don't tell me what other people did. You tell me how you lived your life. So even as you read this and these instructions on children and fathers and parents, I just want to remind you, you are responsible. You are responsible before God for how you live your life and in particular your response to Jesus and never forget that. But then also remember God is sovereign. And so many of you here will know people who have walked away from the faith, who have been raised in Christian homes, and I want to encourage you to keep praying for those people. And that's what every parent should do for their child. The most important thing a parent can do for their child is pray for them every day. Pray for them every day that they will know and love the Lord Jesus and live to serve him. So I'm going to do that right now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way your word speaks such practical wisdom to us. And we thank you for the reminder yet again tonight that what really matters 
is knowing Christ and following him. And we pray for us in our families, for those of us who need perhaps to honour our parents more than we do, we pray that we would work hard at doing that. We pray especially for those who are in difficult family situations where our parents are hard to honour and hard to obey and especially where our parents don't love Jesus like we do. So Father, give us the grace to be wonderful models for Jesus in the way we treat our parents. And for those of us who are parents, or perhaps those who in the future might be, uh, we pray that we would not anger our children, that we would not be harsh and unfair. Instead, we pray that we would be people who discipline fairly and raise our children to know and love the Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.